0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Hey everyone. Welcome to Calvary Monterey's online church gathering. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today. If you take out your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter six, Mark chapter six, looking at a message I've called how Jesus shepherds you, how Jesus shepherds you. And I'm very thankful for this online gathering of the church. Uh, It's very different, of course, than gathering in the flesh. But if this is meeting your needs for that, I absolutely rejoice. I've heard stories of people that are taking in the service via Zoom calls with others who are chatting with friends after the service is over with families getting together, watching the service. And I just so appreciate uh, the intentionality that you have showed in staying in the word and in staying in fellowship. We are rejoicing, however, as well that we are able to open up live gatherings uh, next Sunday at Calvary Monterey at our facility, uh, we're going to have outdoor services at the church. For the last couple of weeks, today included, uh, we've had drive-in service with a little bit of outdoor patio and on-the-grass seating. Uh, But this next week, we'll be shifting to more of an uh, outdoor format for everybody who would like to gather in that way. Still though, with some drive-in seating uh, for those who prefer it or for those who uh, due to uh, their susceptibility to COVID uh, need to be a little bit more careful about their situation. So if you would like to drive in, you'll still be able to, but we're going to have the majority of the gathering Uh, out on the grass in an outdoor setting, which of course is a very safe way for us to meet. We've got little circles drawn on the grass so that everybody can socially distance from others. And it's just a great time together to see each other, to sing together, to be in the Word together. So if you'd like to come on out, the weather has been great. We're having a blast Uh, over at 3001 Monterey-Salinas Highway at 9 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Uh, However, if you'd like to continue uh, joining with us online, that's great as well. Okay, Mark chapter 6 is where we are today. I want to read to you the whole episode. We're going to reread the episode as we move through the text, but it's just good to see this whole passage in its entirety. So let's read together, starting in verse 33, where we left off last week. It says, Now many saw them going and recognized them. Now, just a reminder, last week we read about Jesus after his disciples returned from their two-by-two journey, uh, taking his disciples and going out to a desolate place for a time of leisure and a time of rest. So here it says that many Uh, of the crowd, saw them going to this time of leisure and recognized them. And they ran there on foot, verse 33, from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore and saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, verse 37, them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Lord, please speak to us from your word today. By your spirit, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask, amen. I want you to imagine Being there for this episode of Jesus's life. Put yourself, if you can, in the scene. Imagine wishing so badly to see Jesus that when you heard that it was his boat out on the water and when you saw that the winds were making their journey difficult, you stopped everything and ran to his destination ahead of him. He arrived. He began teaching, and as the other Gospels record, he also was healing. The hours ticked by. The crowd swelled. It grew. You and thousands of others had left everything for the chance to see Jesus. And now, late in the day, without food, your hunger begins to grow. Then word starts to spread through the throngs of people. Jesus wants us all to sit down in groups, on the green grass. Let's gather. And there you are, waiting in anticipation. When from afar, you notice that Jesus takes something in his hands and lifts it up to heaven. Everybody gets quiet, straining. You make it out. Jesus is blessing God. He's thanking God for the food that's in his hands. And now he's starting to fill baskets for his 12 disciples. But what is he putting In those baskets, he had hardly anything in his hands. And your question is answered when one of his men arrives at your group. The basket he's carrying is filled with little loaves of bread and smoked fish, enough for everyone in your group of 50 to 100 people to glut themselves. It's probably as an ancient person living in the region of Galilee been years since you've been satisfied like that, if ever. And as you watch each of Jesus's men, you notice that they keep going back to Jesus again and again. And he keeps on filling their baskets. He's got no supplies with him though. There's no reserves, no big truck filled with bread or fish. That's when it strikes you. Jesus has created food in his bare hands. Like God who brought the manna into the wilderness for the people of Israel, so Jesus has miraculously provided food for the masses. Now, centuries earlier, God had told Moses that he would one day send a prophet like Moses to the people. And as John's gospel records, people around you that day began concluding that Jesus was that prophet that God had promised Moses would come. Moses had led the people from their Egyptian oppressors. And now Jesus might be the one to lead you from your Roman oppressors. Moses had prayed And God had provided manna from the heavens. And now Jesus might be the one who's able to provide food out of thin air. Your group began discussing, what does this all mean? And as John's gospel records, a consensus began to develop. Jesus must become our king. But before all of you have a chance to act out on that impulse, Jesus is gone. He leaves, goes up to the mountaintop, the Gospels tell us, for a time of solitude and prayer. And there you are left full, satisfied, and definitely rocked by Jesus. The reason I wanted to say it like that or tell you this story or have that story get inside of you is because I think it's way too easy to trivialize this event, making it into a cute miracle in Jesus's repertoire of miracles. Instead, though, it seems that the gospel writers want us to see this event as monumental in nature. You see, this is the only miracle during Jesus' earthly ministry before the cross that all four Gospels put in their accounts. In other words, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this was a significant event with meaningful uh, symbolism behind it. But but why? Why was it so meaningful? Why was it so significant? Well, it's because, or is it because it's just a big miracle? No, I think there's something more to it. And the clue is found in the first two verses. Let's read them again, verse 33 and 34. It says, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, when you combine this with John's recollection of the people's desire to make Jesus into their king, it becomes obvious that there's something more at play here. When we see Jesus's compassion, his concern, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, what we tend to think of is his pastoral care and concern. In other words, when we think of Jesus shepherding us, we think of things like his love, his tenderness, that he's gentle, that he nurtures us, that he understands us. We even have sometimes tacky Christian artwork that goes along with this theme of Jesus nestling us uh, as little lambs uh, near his chest. But the thing is, they saw shepherds in a different kind of way. To them, the shepherd role was a leadership role. And when used as a metaphor for Israel in the Old Testament scriptures, the shepherd role often pointed to a military leader like Joshua so often, or even Moses at times. Men who would rally Israel for war. Without the shepherd, the flock of Israel was aimless and visionless. The shepherd was the one who provided a cause, provided a mission, and led them into it by providing them direction in battle. So that's what I want to talk about today. How how does Jesus shepherd us in this way, leading us into the war he has for us uh, in this passage? How does he shepherd you? Number one, he shepherds you by strengthening you. Number one, he shepherds you by strengthening you. Let's read verse 35 to 38 again to see the conversation between Jesus and his disciples. It says, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii, that's eight months of wages, worth of bread and give it to them to eat. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Now we remember, of course, that In our last study in Mark's gospel, when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, he was turning his attention to the development of his disciples. Uh, They've now returned to him, but he still is developing them. They eventually need to become apostles sent out into the world with Jesus's message. Like military officers, Following orders on the battlefield, Jesus fed the crowds through the direction that he gave to these men. But before that miraculous feeding, the disciples, they actually confronted Jesus. You see, in their minds, it was so late in the day and they were out in a desolate place on the outskirts of town. And because of those two facts, Jesus needed to send the crowds away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I don't think we should belittle the disciples for this suggestion. They could not have possibly dreamt of what Jesus was going to do next. They just saw this massive crowd, knew it was late in the day and thought, where are these people going to eat? Jesus, you need to send them away. Jesus though responded by challenging his disciples to take care of the people's needs on their own. He said, you guys, you do it. You give them something to eat. Have you ever had Jesus ask you to do something that feels impossible? Yeah, they heard it and were shocked. They made some quick calculations and they determined that it would take eight months of salary to be able to purchase one meal for a massive amount of people that large. So they considered, what do we have? They came back to him, Lord, it's going to take eight months wages. Jesus though, told them to find out how many loaves they had and they returned and said, we have five and two fish. John's gospel of course tells us that it was a little boy who came forward with the five loaves and two fish. What was Jesus doing here? Well, as he talks with his disciples, he's shepherding his disciples. He's strengthening his men. He knew that they needed to be stronger if they were going to engage in his mission. And this event would help them grow in some important ways. You see, Jesus will shepherd you, as I said, by strengthening you. He works hard to strengthen his people. And in this passage, we see three ways that Jesus strengthened his men and also strengthened us. First of all, notice how he showed them people's true need. I mean, think about it. The disciples had just gotten back from their two-by-two mission all throughout the region of the Galilee, it had been very successful. They preached, they healed, they confronted the demonic powers and they were probably amazed at their new found ability. But just like that, in a moment they're confronted, not with their new ability, but their inability. they didn't even have time to really rejoice about everything they'd done before they faced a situation they just could not handle. The multitudes ran to the shore where Jesus would arrived. And what they needed was not the disciples, but Jesus. And the same is true for us. We must know how to give people more Jesus. He's the one that people need. Not us, but him. You see, if you're going to be strengthened for the work the Lord has for you in your life. You've got to learn how to get people to Jesus. You've got to learn how to point them to Christ and his resources because you as the resource will not suffice. But Jesus also taught them compassion. You know, he teaches us that compassion by showing us that the lost masses of humanity are important to him. I mean, remember how this story developed, Uh, Jesus and the disciples, they went on the lake to try to get away. They were going to have a vacation, leisure, rest, all of that, because they'd been busy for a long time. And what the crowds did basically was ruin Jesus's intentions, but Jesus wasn't angry at the crowds. He wasn't bitter at the crowds but he instead showed them compassion. You see, we also must be compassionate to the lost and searching crowds of this world. People are hurting. Usually, they're confused. They're in need of Christ. Whether they know it or not, they need Jesus. And this fact, when we see it, whether it comes through a television screen or in a news feed or in a report from a friend, this fact should elicit compassion from within us. But another thing that Jesus did to strengthen his disciples, I told you there were three things. The third one is this. He made them dependent. He made them dependent. This is one of the reasons I've always loved this story of the feeding of of the five thousands, it taught the disciples and it teaches us about living in dependence upon Christ. You know, he told them to take account of their resources and all they had was five loaves and two fish. And he told them to bring what they had, that little supply to him. And then he multiplied what they had to feed the entire crowd. You see, the truth of the matter is we don't have what it takes to get the impossible tasks in front of us accomplished. We have small resources. We have little ability. And making any real difference on our own is impossible. But Jesus, he can strengthen us by his spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed the prayer, Lord, take my five loaves and my two fish and let it be enough. It's not enough, but with you, it can be. What I mean is, Lord, I, I, I wish I was more intelligent. I wish I was more persuasive. I wish I was more dynamic. I wish I had the ability. I wish I had the answers, but Lord, this is all I got. Would you take it and use it for your glory? Jesus was making his disciples dependent upon him, which was an important lesson for the age to come. But let me talk to you about a second way now that Jesus shepherds you. Number two, he shepherds you by satisfying you, by satisfying you. Let's read verse 39 to 44 again. It says, then Jesus, he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, what this is, this this moment where Jesus breaks the bread, distributes it in his hands, this is what is put in the category of a creation miracle, meaning that Jesus expressed his power here over creation. Now, it's similar to another creation miracle that we've already seen in Mark's gospel when Jesus calmed the wind and the sea during the tumultuous storm with his disciples. But this miracle has the added element, not just of controlling creation, but actually the act of creating. He's not only powerful over creation, but he is powerful to create. In his hands, bread and fish materialize. Now Mark has already started his gospel by telling us that Jesus is the son of God. And now in this miracle, we see his deity in full effect. He is doing divine things. And this story shows us that Jesus's kingdom is one of total satisfaction because everybody ate, they all ate and were satisfied. It says in verse 42, that means that they were glutted. Uh, It's a word that means they were stuffed. It's sweatpants after the meal kind of language. And there was enough for everybody, by the way. It wasn't exclusive. There was more than enough. The 12 disciples took up 12 big baskets full of leftovers. 5,000 men were satisfied that day. Every gospel account records the number because they're blown away by it. They were able to count, by the way, because of the groups of 50 to 100. It's a number that doesn't even include the women and the children who were also there, according to Matthew's gospel. In other words, it was a massive amount of people, a massive amount of food. And remember, Mark is thinking about the kingdom. This miracle was meant to show the breaking in of God's kingdom. In, in this kingdom, we are, we learn, supplied, satisfied by God. In his kingdom, we are satiated to the max. How so? Well, first of all, notice that Jesus fed the people with teaching first, you know, before he gave them food. He gave them the word. He saw the multitudes had compassion on them and immediately began to teach them. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. So he taught them. You see, Jesus's kingdom is the kingdom that has the truth his truth can lead you to a place of satisfaction with him under any condition that life throws at you. But the second thing we have to see is that Jesus also fed the people, not just with the word, but with bread and with fish. His kingdom does not stop with the theoretical or the theological, but gets into the practical elements of life. All this is the inbreaking of the kingdom. You see, one day Jesus is going to return. His truth will be ever present, but so will his radical provision for our lives. He's gonna displace all the power structures of our day and replace all the earthly rulers of our time. He'll become the supreme leader, yet, the benevolent leader of his people. And there in that day, when he's leading us, every spiritual, emotional, financial, practical need of ours will be met. Beyond met, we will experience abundance with Jesus. And the feeding of the 5,000 is really a foreshadowing of that ultimate realization of his kingdom, the great and final banquet, the marriage supper of the lamb that is spoken of in revelation chapter 19 in glory with Jesus, we will partake of his table without end. And that will be a far greater banquet than the one, the powers of this day offer to us. Remember our last episode that we saw last week, it was, King Herod's birthday and he threw a banquet for himself in his honor. It was debaucherous, riotous. It was ghastly, but it was what the powers of Jesus' day were engaged in. It was the best that they could offer. But Jesus comes along and he offers to supply you, to satiate you, to provide for you, to care for you, to satisfy you. He wants to be the one to feed you. He doesn't want to take from you. He wants to give to you. His kingdom is the one that we need. But the third thing I want you to see as we close today about Jesus and how he shepherds you is this, number three. He shepherds you by leading you. He shepherds you by leading you. You know, earlier at the beginning of this teaching, I I pointed out how they thought of shepherds in a less sentimental way than we often do. You know, to them, a shepherd, like I said, was a warrior leader general when spoken of about the people of Israel, a shepherd for Israel. And there are other elements in the story that point to Jesus's work as the shepherd who wills to lead his people into his cause. Uh, For instance, when he had the people sit down on the green grass, it's reminiscent of Psalm 23's statement about the shepherd Lord who makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, When he commanded the people to be in groups of 50 and 100 it sounds a little bit like the organizing of the troops. And when the disciples counted the masses, they only counted the men. And that was their culture's way of counting back in that day. But it also is a little reminiscent of an ancient army of male warriors. And then there's the location of this whole episode. It happened in the desolate hills on the northwestern shore of Galilee. You see, rural Galilee had become legendary during that time for various freedom movements that had risen up against the Roman Empire. Groups like the Zealots, if you've heard of them. Guys who tried guerrilla tactics in their resistance of Rome. And each one of those movements had a leader. And there's even John's note that Jesus, upon perceiving that they were about to take him and make him king by force, dashed their hopes by fleeing to the mountain. This doesn't mean that Jesus didn't want to be their leader, but that they didn't understand his kingdom and what it's all about. But Jesus very wants, very much wants to be, became, and will be the conquering king. All this should demonstrate that he wants to shepherd you in more than mere sentimental ways. He wants to be more than just your therapist. He wants to lead you into the kingdom of God. He wants to enlist you into God's battle. And he wants to go before you into the victory of God. You see, war is afoot. It's a war that he won on the cross, and he longs to lead you into that victory he wants to become your shepherd, the driving force of your life, the one that you follow. Do you remember David's early years in the Old Testament? You know, before anybody knew about David, he was shepherding his father's sheep. Once the spirit came upon him, he rose up and defended those sheep against a lion and against a bear. And this, of course, was preparing him for the day that he would meet a man named Goliath on the battlefield. None of the men in Israel's army were up for the task of battling against Goliath. But David, the shepherd warrior, would lead them into victory. And once his stone sunk into Goliath's forehead, killing the man, the men of Israel ran after the Philistine army in pursuit of the victory that David had granted them. You see, Jesus has done the same. He's conquered our great foe upon the cross. And now we're to run in the victory that Christ has won. He's become our shepherd warrior, our general in the mission of life. And it isn't because Jesus is selfish that he seeks to become the leading force of your life. No, it's his love that compels him. You see, there are many others who will attempt to play the leading role in your life, but none of them can satisfy. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes demonstrates as much. Solomon, he had wealth and power and wisdom beyond compare, and he tried to find satisfaction outside of God he made self-indulgence and the pursuit of pleasure his shepherd that he followed he made intellectualism his pursuit he made accomplishments and career his focus he accumulated wealth he explored the arts he immersed himself in trade and amassed all the happy experiences that he could imagine. Anything he could think of, he would do. Nothing was off limits for this man. And in the end, Solomon learned that it was only in God that he could find satisfaction. It was only in God that he could find his purpose. You see, many people have have invented many missions in our modern time causes which give them their reason, movements which are meant to bring them fulfillment, or experiences which deliver them from life's monotonies. But Jesus and his kingdom beckons us. He sees humanity shepherdless in need of the one true king. He's moved with compassion when he sees us flounder in search of meaning. And he cries out for all of us to hear, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Go to him. Let him be your shepherd. Let him displace and replace all the lesser shepherds who have hijacked your life.